a shitty job. I'm just saying, like, keep remembering this, and eventually we'll get it yes, right. Yeah. So Greg was mentioning the where we needed to. We decided last week that I was going to hit the mute buttons on the microphones as I fade this out because there's some weird noise artifacts of breathing or room noise or whatnot, and we want to improve the fade out. And Greg's making like all kinds of animated gestures, and I couldn't figure out what he wanted to do because his mic was live. So there's two buttons on the soundboard to mute. Uh, so, like, for example, here's what the end of the show would normally sound like if I remember to do our new thing. Oh, do that up again. All right, well, let me go to... Uh, we still have uh, the rest of Blue Moon. So okay. All right, so, you know, I would be like, uh, Crappy Radio's release of the Creative Commons license is Crappy Radio.com for thanks so much for listening, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, so that way our, our mics. So, so the difference muted, is so. Uh, when you right before, right after I stopped talking, I hit the mute uh, buttons on our two mics and then faded down the music. So that's something yeah, I you fade down the music a little fast, but you, you were trying oh, to do demonstration. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so so I, I think, um, I totally understand why you don't want to fade down the, the sliders, but that you can mute them right away. Yeah, yeah, it makes it uh, awesome. So yeah, I'll put a little. Yeah, I need those little arrow 3M post-it notes to put yeah, right here. Okay. Just just an arrow with this button to help. <laughs> what a show, man. Yeah, Holy wow, hell. Those were great fears. They have another show tomorrow. I want to see what this sludge in the bottom of the Momcraft is like. Look at that. Look how sludgy that is. Yeah. Oh, I poured it in the habanero glass, so now it's most habanero. <laughs> I wonder what uh, grapefruit habit grapefruit. Oh, do you want me to be quiet? I wanted to hear that that bomb, 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 bomb. But it might happen again. I'm not sure. Hold on a second. Wait, wait, wait. I wonder what blending grapefruit sculpin and habanero sculpin, how that would play. Maybe. We could do it. <laughs> we do have bottles of each. <laughs> <laughs> I think Bounce Point sent us the grapefruit, right? So we should probably yes. do that. Uh, yes, they did. Yeah. You know, if we had extra grapefruit, then we, we would do it. Yes. Oh, well. Well, we'll, we'll be forced to drink either Sang Royale or, or, or Dark Star. Oh. <laughs> Shame. <laughs> so one thing I want to talk about was Anheuser yeah. um, Bush had a uh, another yes, barley yes, tour they did. this week. We weren't invited. I, you know, we already. Did Why that. should we be? We, we exactly. We've been there, done that. Let someone else do it. I, I started sending tweets and whatnot to Greg. Well, you first. It, it was uh, I am oh, first. Right? I am yeah. right. Yeah, most of it was I am, but I was. I was I made something like a joke, I think. I think my initial joke was kind of like, you know, you're going to be jealous or something like that. Or I think it was... I can actually look because I think I have it in the log. Okay. Let's see exactly what it was. Why not, right? It's important to the story. It is important to the story. Chats. Jeff Bear, this would be on... When did you start? What day was when? it? When... No, no Monday. 
It was a Monday thing. I think. It was Monday. Okay, so Monday was what was the twenty seventh? Yes. All right. So yeah. Um. Okay, so the first thing you said to me after we talked about how um, my throat is scratchy and I caught it from you. I still have it, by the way. I still have it, too. I still have a cough, too. <laughs> um. Um, but, uh, yeah, so you said AB is a bunch of bloggers on the Barley Tour. And I was like, okay, what does that mean? Was my answer. Okay. <laughs> because I was like, so? That, that was my way of saying, Okay. <laughs> what what do you mean by that? And you said, and you posted a Twitter to somebody who was on the Budweiser Barley. It says means they didn't see fit to invite us a second time. And and that was tongue in cheek. That wasn't okay. I mean, yeah. You might not have interpreted it, it that way. It, but is, I intended... it is hard. It is always hard to tell over text. Uh, when I, I intended to send that as a joke. Yeah. I didn't expect them. to You send should have us. put a slash s on there to uh, okay. to in, in, okay. or or, All right. or uh, so maybe that's winky. part of this whole conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I sent it winky style, but you didn't put a winky on there. Well, <laughs> we knew each other for so much that often how Texas. So you, I, know I, I, I know. I know. I know. It's, I know it's I, hard, but I know we know each other. I know, but still, you need that context because. Sure. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. But it was winky. I mean, it was... Okay, no. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. I'm just... Next time. <laughs> uh, I, will, <laughs> you know? I won't assume that you can yeah. read my mind. Because um, my, my next thing was, why do you care? <laughs> because I didn't at all. Like, I had... I did not care at all. And so you said, I don't, just FYI. Actually, now I'm glad I'm not there. And you sent a, uh, a tweet of somebody or who was so the um, yeah all the tweets. So there was two people I would consider craft beer bloggers, and then there was a bunch of like men lifestyle bloggers and things like that. Yeah, and it's interesting because a lot of the tweets and a lot of the photos they almost so I. Before I get to this part, I want to kind of preface this with, I'm, I wasn't jealous, but... I can accept that now. I mean, especially hearing your tone, right. uh, that indicates to me, I mean, right. I know you're t- I've been with you for a long time, I've been with you longer than right. uh, most people, um, you know, <laughs> Frankly, I know your tone. You know my tone. When when I hear your tone, I can understand you. Right. So the thing I'm wondering about, it, not jealousy, but there's a different emotion where it's, and I'm not even sure what word I want to put through this emotion yet because it's not, it's not really braggart. It I don't know what it is, but it's like I'm looking at what they're doing, and it's the opposite of humble. <laughs> okay, fine, asshole. Um, I'm being an asshole, but like I'm watching. This. Is asshole the opposite of humble? I don't know. I, I, I never really thought put much thought into it. So, so I'm trying to like put myself back in the play by play of the thing. Uh-huh. Um, now there was plenty of Budweiser ads and stuff. We we still have the um, we use as. I forget whether it was the barley tour or the hop tour that we have that our dump bucket comes from that. 
We have a Bud Light dump bucket. <laughs> That's where we haven't that comes announced from. what's on the dump bucket in forever, and it's covered with other stickers. But... Yeah. Okay, so we got to our hotel rooms in one of those. I forget which one, and we all we each had a bucket full of like Budweiser beer. Yeah, it was a Bud Light uh, yeah. wrapped uh, yeah. tin bucket with ice and bottles stuck in, and beer stuck in it, so you could drink beer in your hotel room as soon as you got yeah. there. There was beer, cold beer waiting for you. And uh, for what it's worth, Jeff didn't think to, to bring it home. I did. I was like, I got him. I got to bring this. Home. It was pretty. <laughs> yeah. it was, I mean, I guess you know. If you fill it with dirty clothes, it doesn't take up much yeah. more space. But I saw this giant bucket. I'm like, how am I going to get this yeah. goddamn thing home? Uh, so, okay. So, they're on this trip. And there is an official trip hashtag. Pound. Yeah. Or hash Budweiser Barley. It looks like their tour was much like ours. Except... Well, I mean, we never they 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 never insisted that we. Well, they didn't. I mean, social okay. media wasn't as big then. They, so they right. didn't. I mean, ask social media to... social media wasn't big until we did the East tour. I don't yeah. remember. Do we do any tweeting or much tweeting? We did some tour? tweeting and pictures and stuff like that. I think we we posted some pictures at least. Uh, and but I think we, we recorded we recorded it. most of the stuff. I don't think we yeah. did much live tweeting. Yeah, we didn't actually release the stuff they were recorded for the most part. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Maybe that's why we didn't get invited back. Uh, <laughs> anyway, you know, we 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 got so, what so, we wanted, which was the information and and, and, and interesting and a cool. So experience. they're doing. I these... will say it was a very cool experience. All of these, the yes. three of these we went on, they were very cool experiences. We met a lot of really cool people, regardless of who they work for. They were cool right. people. Cool and, people. Yeah. So we. This is where we got the opinion that they employ some of the best brewing scientists in the world. Yep. Whether their business model allows them to make great beer or not, you know, which we've seen the business model does not allow them to make great beer. But as far good, as we're concerned, but they're good yeah. brewing scientists. Uh. So I'm looking at this thing of these Budweiser barley hashtags. It definitely changed it, my... It, it felt like... Well, first thing, it felt like it was almost being approved through a press office, these tweets that were going out. They were almost... They were all, like, beautiful photographs. Right, yeah. And they were all... They were even, like, gushing over being pulled to dinner in a covered wagon yeah. being pulled by Clydesdales and people weren't being cynical about the Clydesdales. I know that was like, what, and as soon as I saw that part, I'm like, are people are, is, is AB like, like approving these tweets? Like yeah. what the I sort of started to get what you did. What, what you were talking about when you said this will make you jealous and you did a winky icon and then you put a, a tweet to, to the guy who was posted a, a picture of him being in a covered wagon. Uh, I wasn't sure, but I was kind of on your way saying with it because, like, um, you said this will make you jealous. You know, so there's like three tweets yeah, about how yeah. awesome the covered wagon ride was, yeah. and I said keep trying, I guess. And then fucking horses, who gives a shit? <laughs> there was three tweets about these wagon yeah. rides, and like some of, the, I mean, so like, sure, the two guys, the good beer hunting guy, and the other guy that I forget, I just started following. Yeah, you this. can, you, why don't you you go through the whole hangout because you can you. It's called a hangout, but you know how Jewel goes. Sure, sure. So you can um, you can read what you want to. Okay, so I said I'm surprised at the social media love. Two of the, two or three of the attendees I thought were real craft beer bloggers, and the rest were just woo beer bloggers. 
almost like there was a clause to have your tweets approved by the PR team. And that's kind of the wagon thing. Yeah. But there was like shot like these beautiful shots of the barley field. Like uh-huh. sure like good beer hunting, they had a real camera and whatnot. But it's it almost felt like the A B photographer took the shot and then they were tweeting it. I mean, these I'm not, that that that's being I, that's I being mean, disingenuous to the photo yeah, skills of yeah. these guys. And, and, but I mean, they and, were the photos were that good and disingenuous to Montana. I mean, we were there. I mean, you can take a picture Wy- anywhere. Wyoming and, and Idaho, Wyoming, but, yeah. But it, and, and like you can take a picture almost anywhere, yeah. and it was a be- the, it was be- it was fun. But it wasn't it wasn't just the scenery; it was the composition of the shot and everything. So. Right, yeah. These guys are probably excellent photographers, but it, it kind of felt like it came from an AB photographer, you know? <laughs> I'm an asshole. I know. Uh, let's see. So, okay. So here it said, like, this tweet I did not expect from a craft beer blogger, and it was from uh, Oliver Gray. And so he was drinking a mesquite-smoked I noticed beer. You're, you're just, you're going over, you're not talking about any of my responses. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll go back. I'm sorry. Sorry. Well, whatever you want to talk about. Sorry. So Oliver Gray uh, has a tweet, technically a bud, comma tangentially, in it. And what he was drinking from previous tweets, I it was one of their. They took the malt, they smoked it. it was, so this is like a mesquite smoked lager, something. Kind Probably of one of those things that we've tried before at the end yeah, of Budweiser yeah, something. stuff. Like, but okay, they're, look, they're trying. But look at the shot that he put it in, right? It's right next. He's at the dinner table, and they have yeah. these big things, like these big wooden signs say, this bud's for you. I don't... I would do that, too. Would I would you? do that, too. Because I, I, I would show that, hey, this is also a Budweiser event. I I, I don't this find is a that... Budweiser, this is a Budweiser beer that no one will be able to get unless you're there. Yeah, I, we remember we... Yeah. I remember us... Treating pictures okay. of the, the the beers that they had at the mm-hmm. stuff, I, that didn't bug me at all because yeah, I would absolutely show the beer and the advertising that they're pushing along with us. You know, I remember tweeting pictures of the the dinner we were getting and the meals we were getting. Uh, if nothing else, just to show, look, um, hey, we're doing this. They're whining and dining <laughs> us too. You should be aware of that yeah. when you take into account what we're doing. Right. So at this point, you still think I'm jealous. And then I saw, I send you another picture. I say, I mean, come on. So I see this picture. And this is at their dinner, right? This is the props outside their dinner. Right. <laughs> and it's this rustic. There's a couple hay bales and some Budweiser stuff on it. And this rustic, rickety old table. And more Budweiser stuff on it, and an old lantern. It's pretty right ludicrous. next to his right next to a steel sided building. In the background is a plastic tent, yeah, like where they had their dinner. It's pretty ludicrous. I mean, that, but that's it, it's very much designing a uh, an experience. Do you recall, aside from the dinner in St. Louis Brewery, uh-huh. do you recall any kind of product placement like this on our stuff? Yes. Do you? Okay. Yes. Absolutely. Not quite in that kind of, not quite as calculated, but absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Sure. All over the place. All over the place. I seem to it recall. It goes to the territory. Yeah, I seem to recall that they were like more, they were telling us, the people in our group, you know, we're Budweiser, but we are doing these interesting things. Right. Where... The tweets that I seen come out of this was almost like 
for, uh, it's that you know here look at how awesome this bud for you you know here's a bud you know and like like they showed that cooler that show sent me a picture earlier on where it was a cooler full of Budweiser and that's all they were drinking at least we had options on the bus right it wasn't we didn't just have to drink Budweiser there was a lot of Budweiser that we drank uh I okay. um I I remember I remember drinking Red Bridge and you know other things. Uh, I and, remember very distinctly having a conversation with Florian and Florian <laughs> was like, hey, sometimes beer? I just come back and go home and drink a Bud Light." And mm-hmm. we were like, "Huh?" And he was, you know, uh, he seemed to be very honest about it. And we should ask him again today. Maybe. <laughs> but still, you know, I, I took him for his word. Maybe I'm maybe maybe I'm silly, but I, I but I figured that Especially if you're working at a company, you're in that sort of you're in that sort of environment. You're in you're taking in that that uh, that milieu as it is, and and you just sort of and, and that's what you do. And it's not that you you really don't think the beer is that bad. You're just like you know th- this beer has a purpose, uh, and I can actually so, see. So, I mean, here's a especially tweet. if you're a brewer of Bud Light and you can get it super fresh. I can see a situation where Bud Light wouldn't be that bad. If you can get it awesomely fresh, you can actually still get a hot flavor in there. You can, I mean, that fresh Budweiser was a much better Budweiser than the yeah, Budweiser. Sure. Peanutty. Yeah. He slapped his baby. There, there, there <laughs> were. Look at this tweet here, though. I mean, how would you feel if you saw like th- that kind of tweet? Wait. Uh, no, that's not the one. Go. I must maybe I was pointing the wrong one, but it was it was Anheuser Busch saying Budweiser saying glad we could show you where Budweiser begins, and you know and it's pictures of the barley field. Where'd that go? Well, I, I don't know. I tried to go back and it doesn't scroll down here. Uh... Here, give me your laptop back. You know, from from what I, I, re- I from what I, I, I recall, it was more about you know brewing education. You are really you're taking you are looking at this with a. I still do think that there's a jealousy factor. Not jealous. I don't want. I, I don't know whether jealousy is the right word. You're looking at this with okay. Jealousy is probably not right because no, I don't think you're jealous. Actually, now that I think about it, is it you're, a? It's a. Um, you're you're looking at your experience with the rose colored glasses, and you're assuming mm. that their experience is not similar to ours. We were we had a great time there, and we really did. I mean, we had a great time with those Budweiser people. It didn't persuade us to not like craft beer, uh, and that was I don't think that was ever their intention. It was it it was just a uh, a way of of lowering the tension between Budweiser and the craft beer community. Uh, yeah, back in those days, remember we in the hop field, yeah. right? We kind of said, you know, I kind of told Doug Muleman, you know, like you guys should make your Michelob brand, right. your craft brand. Remember, and you know, they kind of did that after. They did that and it failed spectacularly. <laughs> well, the AB or Imbev made it fail, I think. But uh, oh, so. <laughs> That, you, you were taking responsibility for it when yeah. they did it, and now that it, did, that it failed, you're like, "Oh no, it was really more no. of fault." 
I mean, I get it, but I'm, I'm saying, like... No, okay, so, like, I, 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 I understand what you're saying, but, like, just that tweet right there. I don't recall them pushing Budweiser so singularly, like this tweet, where, you know, you're in a barley field in in Idaho, and they're like, glad to show you where Budweiser starts. You know, it was... Why don't you recall that? That was exactly what they were doing. It seemed more like... You know, this is how we make beer. That's what they're saying. No, they're saying there's much more branding angle on that. Well, yeah, they were saying this is the, the almost. They're saying these hops go into Budweiser. These, th- this is the barley that goes into Budweiser. That was exactly what they were saying okay. on the tour. Uh, this was it was a tour about Budweiser. It was not a tour about. Uh, okay, I selected. I chose to yeah. remember yeah. the uh, the the brewing science part of it. I guess more than yeah. I think you're you're. I mean, you're you're looking back at it with a little bit of road okay. You're looking All back right. at that at the yeast lab thing, which was super cool. And them actually, that was them actually talking to us about the science. It was also, I mean, the conversation that we had with um, uh, I can't remember his name, but the the yeast guy uh, when we were talking. Oh. I don't know his name. Yeah. Awesome conversation that we had, though. I mean, like, we had great conversations with both writers and with people from Budweiser on those right. tours. So the, oh, oh, so the other part of this whole... And I would, have, I would not have a problem with them retweeting tweets that we did and putting stuff, putting hashtags on them and saying that. I really wouldn't. I'm kind of glad social media wasn't as big. <laughs> I... I we talked about this when 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 the, it was paused when when the show was paused. But I don't think selling out is is as big right. a deal anymore. I think that everyone recognizes that selling out is 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 part of the nature of existence these days. So mm-hmm. uh, you know everyone needs to to. to so they also claimed that Anheuser Busch had them sign a release where they had to disclose that they were on a junket. We never signed anything like that. We never signed. I know we never signed anything like that. But I, we never, we we always disclosed that we were on. A we did, we did, and there there was no hashtag or you know for the yeah, first two yeah. trips. I don't think Twitter was even around yet. Yeah, I don't think so either. And for the East trip, I, you know, we were too busy just storing, saving content mm-hmm. to to live tweet anything. Um, I mean, look. It, if, if nothing else, I mean, our, our twisting the glass thing, that was a Budweiser thing that we learned. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are people who know their beer. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, as we've said, you know, so in the beginning, these are people who know their stuff. These are smart people, very smart people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were, I was happy to, <clears throat> to, you know, to talk with them and to have conversation with them. I, I saw the problem. I mean, it, the, the problem was... A, particularly apparent in the third one in, in in the third trip was like okay wow you 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 can do a lot here but you can't do a lot here you're you you have these golden handcuffs on you and uh, you know there's that but there's also the way they train their people yeah they're not they're people who see a career first which happens to be in brewing mm-hmm. most of them 
you know, I, where craft I beer, totally, I totally craft beer is all don't about. see a problem with that at all. No, but craft beer is almost all based around people who have a passion for And that's fucking beer. bullshit as far as I'm concerned. That's a whole lot of bullshit. Oh, craft beer is some magical thing where everybody is happy and wonderful. No, No, craft beer is a fucking business just like anything else. And to to approach it like it's some sort of magical wonderland where everyone's happy. No, I'm not saying everyone's happy. I'm talking about... We talked about intangibles earlier. You don't think the person who is in the industry because they're in love with the industry is going to bring some intangibles to their product... Where uh, where the person who fell in, you know, just happened to be in St. Louis and was picked for the brewing program, you know, might not have the same intangibles. Uh, I don't. Uh, okay, here's what I was like. Uh, you know, the people. Wait, wait. wait let okay. me finish. Okay. I I don't think that there is a difference. I I, I honestly don't. I think that both of them are capable of the same kind of greatness. Uh, it's just a different path. It's just a different path. And I do not believe that the love path is the more certain path, the greatness, than the constructed path. Okay. Sure. But maybe at that point you do have some brewer, some people who have fallen into the brewing profession, trained by Anheuser-Busch, and then can't excel because of forces of shareholders and companies but you have some craft brewers who love beer and can't excel because of what that's generally because they can't run a business budweiser tells tc had to run a business too yeah i mean uh, what i'm saying is that i don't think that that love of craft love of beer necessarily means that you have a better chance of making a good beer than being taught all the technical aspects of beer from budweiser sure it, it it's the same thing as like th- does that mean that the person from harvard is always going to be a better whatever than the person that does that learns in a technical school no no not at all uh, the person that learns the technical school is is learning. Uh, in fact, the technical school learning is is probably better, in many senses, in terms of what they're dealing with, than the the theory that they may learn at Harvard. They may you you may be able to make an argument that they sure that they can understand the. I said sure because I was pointing to the Fremont. Um, you may be able to make an argument that they may be able to appreciate some of the subtleties of of their art more because they have more of a background right it, from from the from the other sort of education that doesn't mean that the person who went to technical school can't make something as good if not better than somebody who has all the the wonderful background from from the four-year education at the the wonderful ivy league school i don't think that's a, a equal uh, analogy why not because you're talking about you're saying that the person who pays less gains. no i'm you're, not no, saying you're, you're, anything you're, about paying well no but the technical school costs less than harvard so, Th- that's not i'm, I'm no, not you, i'm not talking you're not about letting what it me you're not letting me finish my i'm thought not letting because, you finish because you're taking it wildly off course this no. is not about cost this is about the type of education you receive 
The type of education you receive at a technical school is very different than the type of education you receive at the same subject at a four-year college where you also have to take, you know, more, you know, di- different types of subjects. You have to be more learned in all these things. You have, to, you have to, you know, take all these electives and other things in order to round out your education, right? So the technical right. school is going to be about the technical specifics of, of the of the trade you are learning. Mm-hmm. It's essentially an internship in that trade. the The learning that you get at at a four year college is about you know, you you're learning a trade, but you're also learning all this other extra stuff. You can the idea is that you apply it to whatever you're doing. What I'm saying is that while that stuff is great, and I think it's important to learn all you you know you can about the world around you, that doesn't necessarily mean that the art that you make from because you were educated in the four year institution is going to absolutely be better than the art that you make from the technical school. It has nothing to do with money. Okay, it wasn't contrary to what I was going to say, but uh... okay. Well, that, I wanted to get that out of the way before you go on with your point. Now you can. What? I I lost it. Um, I lost one. The, the the comparison. I was going is... to say that the hands-on training in technical school, and you got hung up on the cost part of it, which was a minor because part. you brought it up right well, away. But it was a minor part of what I was the point I was trying to make. Continue with your point then. I lost it though. It was. Uh, I'm with you. I mean, from my background and whatnot, you know, doing is better than learning how to do. You know, and so I was going to say something along the lines, but I lost the flow of, you know, I would more so if we're going to try to tie the analogies of Harvard versus technical school to craft brewers versus Anheuser Busch trained brewers, I would want to tie the technical school to the craft brewers, the people who are learning by experimentation and hands-on trial and error and things like that, where the Anheuser-Busch people are reading books and, you know, learning what's supposed to happen. Okay. That's the point that I was trying to the, make. You got too hung up on okay, the cost Okay, well, no, I, no, well I, I, th- I think then that, that my point is still extraordinarily valid, which is that it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your education is. Uh, and I do not think that if you're talking about specifics, I do not think that just because you were educated at, at a technical institution versus educated at a four-year institution, as as the analogy is, is set up, that has anything to do with what you're capable of making, with what art you're capable of doing. What art you're capable of doing is in you. And in your creative ability, and it has nothing to do with the way in which you were taught your skill. It has sure. to do. It has to do with how you absorbed what you were taught. Absolutely. The only, the only thing I would but say there, what you were the only thing I would say there, I'm pretty sure, shoot me down, is that from talking to the the Anheuser Busch trained brewers, it didn't seem like they felt they were making art. They were making a product for their career where craft brewers generally feel like they're making. I would agree with that. I I agree. And I think that there are 3000 plus breweries to show that that's 
the case. 3,000 plus breweries that think they're making art. And maybe a third of them are doing it. And They're all passionate at doing so. Sure. And But like well, the feel that I got from talking to some of those AB trained brewers was so sanitary. It was so, you know... Of course it was. Look, if, if if I'm going to talk to you about your company, you're going to say good things about your company because you're a part of your company and, and how your company does is how you do. If you Once you leave that company, then you're more willing to talk about different things, mm-hmm. right? When you, when, you were work, we, we when talk- you were working for the Tribune Review, maybe that's not the best example, but... <laughs> But you you were not going to talk shit about the Tribune Review until you left the Tribune Review, and then you were more willing to talk about the kind of shit that happened. You're not going to talk shit about your company while you're working for that company. Well, no, I'm not asking that because you're to. not an idiot. I'm not asking, right? I'm not asking them to talk shit. Um, just we talked before. We agreed upon this before, where it seemed like there was a. A problem, you know, if if Anheuser-Busch wanted to make serious inroads into craft beer, make good crafted beer, and we didn't consider the acquisition angle, which is what they ended up doing, right? Mm-hmm. They're acquiring the passionate, talented people. Yes. They're not training the passionate, talented people. We felt that the way they're training people is not going to build a talent pool to make craft beer it doesn't immediately seem that 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 that, that it's it, it it doesn't seem to have immediate dividends in that equation they, but, but you know but that doesn't mean that they won't go on to do immediate things there's people that have left the anheuser bush to make craft beer florian coupland uh ezra from the brew gentleman you know i mean there's people that that do it uh it's just you know when we were talking to Anheuser-Busch, they had an initiative to make good craft beer, either under the Michelob label or under Winters and Bourbon and Bare Knuckle. And- well, no, they didn't. And, and this is what I was you know, pointing out or, or trying to point out was that their their goal was not to make was not to make this Fremont. Or not to make this cascade. No, but that's... Their goal was to make something that was a reasonable facsimile of this that was still enjoyable to a larger group of people. Or, or I mean, at least com- that compar- a focus group would... Comparing would, it to any beer we had tonight is is off-base. Compare it to Boston Lager. Compare it to uh, Sierra Nevada. Compare it to Fat Tire. You know... Anything smaller than that's not even worth their time. Yes, right. Uh, yeah, and that and that's the problem, right? That's part of the problem. It's was part of that, the problem was that they the, the economies that they're working with, it is a lost leader for them to try to make a real amazing craft beer. But my point going back was the way they were training their brewers was not creating a culture to spawn off brewers who would compete with craft brewers. So I, I they've disagree. since this guy decided to acquire the craft brewers. 
Well, I mean, they made a a, a short term business decision to acquire the the craft brewers. I don't think it's necessarily true that that they're, the brewers they're training are incapable of making craft beer or that their training program is incapable of teaching somebody how to make a good craft beer. I mean, we saw stuff there that showed that they, they were more than capable of making good craft beer. Like I said, though, they had golden handcuffs on them. They, they were. What, what did we have that was... What's the best thing we had? The, the most interesting things were the stuff in the fermenter they wouldn't let us taste. Well, we don't know that. We don't know that. We we saw stuff that looked interesting. We don't know whether it was good. Yeah, or not. yeah, but I mean, they wouldn't let us taste the beer that was fermented with Orhol yeast. It might have been a piece of shit. It might have been. I'd rather try that than mesquite smoked Budweiser. I mean, they they had beers that were complete products. They weren't awesome, but they weren't terrible. They were complete products that, that were clearly designed with a, a more mass market appeal in mind. Okay. There's so, nothing so wrong with that. Michelob They're, Bavarian Wheat, Michelob Pale Ale, and Michelob Meritzen are probably the best three Anheuser-Busch beers that I've had. They're Dunkelweiss. Oh, the Dunkelweiss. Okay, four. Uh, Dunkelweiss is probably at the top of that list, actually. Yeah. Um, but think of Celebrate. Think of... Bourbon's Winter Cascale. Think of Bare Knuckle Stout. Think of... Sure. They were not able to bring... And none of those beer, even the beers that were good, they were good traditional beers. None of the beer... I've never had a good uh, innovative craft beer from them. Let me pause. i got to use right. the uh, the toilette, but then we'll continue this conversation because I have more... Okay. As we were going to the bathroom, Jeff mentioned... Uh, don't t- don't tell me you're going to talk about the pretzel beer. I hadn't even considered or thought about the pretzel beer that we had. No, I w- no, not at all. Uh, that pissed me off so much because like all day there's promise of trying interesting things, right? And we're in the fermentation cellar and we see the seven barrel fermenter with autumn fire fermented with Orval yeast. I'm like, let's try that. And like, no, you'll try really cool stuff later. And the really cool stuff was like. Budweiser sure. from four different places sure. and fucking pretzel beer. But think about this, though. That thing, that experience in the yeast lab where we're given the same base beer, brewed with different yeasts, mm-hmm. was something that I had never experienced before. Through you know what we had done like eight years of the show at that point, mm-hmm. in you know several different brewery tours of, of all different types, never had I had something that extensive and, and given me that kind of an experience and that kind of a learning experience. Right there. I mean, that was a spectacular learning experience. I learned a lot. No, just from it that was time. good. It was. I remember clearly drinking the Molson yeast. Yeah, I would have loved to have like had them use like Chico yeast, like <laughs> done it with Chico yeast. I mean, that would have completed it for us, right? Filled it out. Well, it, but the point, the, the the point that they were trying to that, that they were putting across was, look at how much yeast <clears throat> makes changes these. The same base beer is radically changed simply by the yeast. Now, now for people listening, they were very light lager base yeah. beers. They weren't, you know, big potent. It was the bush. It was their bush, bush beer. Light. Yeah. Um, base beer. But they were all fermented with different yeast, and they all had very different characteristics. Sure. And it was a huge learning experience. One that I won't forget. One that was very important in my understanding of beer. One that I never would have gotten from a craft well, sure. brewer. 
Uh, one you haven't got from Craft Brewer. I, I certainly mean, haven't gotten from that Craft one. Brewer. That one. I mean, fermenting the same base beer with different yeast. That's more plausible from Craft Brewer. Some of the other experiences we had on a Bush tour, on an AB tour was like when we're on the bus in the hop thing and we're talking to the hop scientist. Yeah, yeah, okay, all right. All right. I mean, but but still, I mean, that that experience. Well, what for what for what it's worth. Never had that experience, and the people who I talked to hadn't had that experience before mm-hmm. either. Uh, maybe they, you know, some homebrewers may try that and, and, and be interested in that, but and and may go for that sort of type of experiment. But okay, I, it, mean, I hear what you're saying, but yeah. you know, for me personally, that that's the shit I remember from that tour. I mean, that's the stuff that sticks. But not not them, not me trying their different beers. Who who the hell cares about their different beers that they want us to to, to taste? I was interested in learning about the stuff, and they were teaching me stuff. Yeah, I mean, the thing, that's what the I got. From I got tour. most from the East Tour was uh, the details on their cryogenics, like how many copies of the standard yeast do they have? Mm-hmm. You know that kind of thing. The uh, step-up procedures to a production batch. I was less. The thing you just mentioned about the different yeast characteristics, uh, I mean, it was cool because um, I did taste beer brewed with yeast, I would, like the Molson yeast. I would have never had a craft brewer use that, right? Mm-hmm. So, But like I said, that portion for me is more plausible. I think and like learning how their distribution network ships yeast all from St. Louis all over the world, you know, just kind of the scale of that kind of thing. That's what I took most out of St. Louis. Well, I mean, we take something. I mean, we do it every day, every time on the show. We do this twisting thing. Mm-hmm. We learn that from Anheuser Busch. Oh, absolutely. We the, the, we've the, given the credit a dozen times. Yeah, but it's important to keep recognizing that you know if you this was something that they learned through years of experience. They pass it on to us. They did. Right. It's a refinement on swirling, right? But but it's, but it's an important. I mean, it's a useful refinement. I'm not I'm not mitigating yeah. the whole twist and tilt. We I mean, I feel that we've given them. I'm trying to remember the, the lady's name. June. I I don't remember her. Janet. Name, unfortunately. Jan. It start with a J. I think it did start with a J. I mean, I, we've given them plenty of props on that, and I'm not saying we should stop giving them props. We should occasionally give them props on it again. It's a it's a great tool. It's one of the more valuable things. Not one of the more interesting things, but one of the more valuable things that we've learned because we apply it every week. Yeah. It, it's better than where we used to swirl. Mm-hmm. We used to keep the glass on a coaster and kind of do a swirl. The tilt and twist works better. Um, That's something that comes from the years of experience that Hazard Bush has had. Uh, I don't. I mean, you may have, you know, another another craft brewer may have discovered that and 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 you know, discovered it on their on their own without without that influence. But would they have shared that? Would we have, you know, would, would we have been exposed to that on the same level? Would other people have been exposed to that? You know, the people that that we that we yeah. went on the tour with. No. I, I am more than happy to. To, uh, to, to, I wouldn't, I, it's not me letting them do anything. It, it, it's just me 
appreciating them taking other people out and, and, and bringing them on the same type of stuff that we did. Uh, I want them to do that. Now, I understand. In today's world, you're, you're going to be more active in your Twitter and, you, and, and they give you a hashtag and stuff right. like that. I mean, we if we were on, you know, if if Twitter was invented five years earlier, we probably would have been hashtagging. Absolutely. So I, I'm not blaming that too much. I mean, I'm not blaming the attendees for selling out. I'm just trying to, like, look at what they've done and, like, imagine how different it is today. It's always going to be different. It's yeah. always going to be a different experience. I don't think it's necessarily, like, a, a lesser you experience. You mentioned in one of your tweets that, you know, this is a... Was it you, was it you or something else about, like, damage control? Like how how directly is this response to? I may have uh, mentioned pump, something pumpkin that, I, I, I didn't tweet that. Uh, uh, but I, I mean, may, I mean, I meant yeah, I am. But yeah. I mean, how much of this was a direct response to pumpkin Pichio is, right. is kind of is something to consider too. Yeah, there is. I I do think that there's a little bit of them attempting to bandaid over some. Some situations that may have gotten, but also heavy. on our trip, everyone was craft media. Yeah, or I mean, there was like BTI's alcohol. Well, but, but I mean, the thing is that, that but that, like on this trip, like there was a lot of men's lifestyle, and there was no men's lifestyle on our trip. So right, that's, but that's a different target. But there, are, but yes, but you also have to consider the situation. The people who were talking about beer. Who are really talking about beer were not men's lifestyle magazines then. They were just craft beer. They were the only people who were really okay. talking about beer. Uh, the people now, men's life, now craft beer has become a part of society. Men's lifestyle magazines are talking about craft beer. Uh, the, the, <laughs> that, that, that sort of, that, that's part of men's lifestyle now. So, yeah, they're going to include right. that. Okay. Good point. The there's one other wrinkle, you know, we've been on this a long time, but I wanted to bring it up early on was right at the beginning of this thing with the hashtag Andy Couch Crouch said, you know, watch out for the A B love, you know, basically and he made a big stink about disclosure. And he felt that it was improperly disclosed that these people were tweeting their experiences like so there's like there's kind of this like sure when good beer hunting goes back and writes his blog post he's going to talk about how Anheuser Bush paid for the trip. Mhm. That's disclosure. Right. Andy Crouch was getting on him and some other people about them tweeting at hashtag Budweiser Barley and oh, these pictures. Oh fuck Andy Crouch. Seriously? Because like they what bullshit. Okay. What total bullshit? What total holier than thou bullshit? What 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 craft brew companies have any crowds you know sucked the dick of? And I'm saying this totally. We've sucked the dick of plenty of craft beer companies in, and Budweiser and other companies too. We we we've done our share of you know of of pleasuring them or or you know licking their uh, cooches or whatever you want to call it, you know to, to to be gender normative right, right? Uh, to you know kissing you know kissing them on the lips whatever we we've done our our share of fondling them 
because we've appreciated what they've done for us. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with doing that for a big company or doing that for a small company. I, I think as 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 long as as long as we maintain that when we do the show, when we do the thing that we that that people trust us on, we right. we maintain that level of trust. We be honest. That, and as long as we do that, as long as we're honest about what we're tasting and honest about what we feel about uh, things, and we don't, and I hear we, you. we try, we do whatever we can. I mean, to to the extent that we can, to to be honest about it. Uh, Let me play devil's advocate here. Okay, okay, so we're a podcast. Yes, that's our that's our product. <laughs> Shocker. Yeah. That, that's our product. <laughs> yeah, but isn't our product also? beer personalities on social media right so imagine this like i don't understand what you mean we tweet to a bunch of people that to some degree associate us to the podcast but maybe loosely maybe tightly right okay and we're on the budweiser barley tour and we're tweeting how about how great this horse covered wagon is horse pool cover wagon is it's a cool experience we're having i, I tweet about shit that has nothing to do with beer all the time and right. or it but, but it's uh you know his, his kind of argument is you know budweiser is gaining the advantage here because there's this um what's what i'm looking for there's this you know um there's the presence of these tweets that aren't tightly tied to the disclosure that's going to come in the long form podcast or blog post. What is the stick that's up Andy Crouch's ass code with is my question. Cause it must be some kind of fucking huge thorns. Cause it, I mean, complaining about this bullshit. I mean, he was just, okay. So he was just in Pittsburgh, right? Uh huh. And we were, I want to see if we could do yeah, a thing. I would but, love to talk to him about this, but um, you know, he went to like every brewery in town. And I'm curious if he paid for every beer that he got, because I didn't see him uh, disclosing that he got any free beers. I I I don't care one way or the other, and and neither should he. But, you know, I would love well, to talk to him well, about this. I would love to be challenged on this, and for him to tell me why I'm wrong, because I might be wrong. He might have a good a, a good example for why I'm fucking wrong, and I want to know if I'm wrong. But from what I know. Which I don't know what Andy Crouch is thinking, but from what I know, and from what you're telling me about what he's saying, I feel like what the fuck that that's such bullshit. That is such complete hypocritical bullshit. Uh, to you know to to take some to take that, and and is taking totally these things totally out of context. I I. I don't see any difference. Uh, I don't see any difference between the reaction to people who were on the tour and what they're tweeting to what we did on the tour and what other uh, people who were on the tour did. Uh, just, it's not, we're not heroes for being dicks to Anheuser Busch. That doesn't make us heroes. What so. what makes us interesting and and what makes us relevant is that we tell the truth and we tell it honestly. And if that means we're impressed and or not impressed, we say it. And I will be frank. 
there were things that definitely impressed me about Anheuser Bush and things that didn't impress me about Anheuser Bush. Right. Last night, uh, Jeff Allsworth, or Beervana, because it's ungodly hot and I'm bored, did any non-bloggers care about the recent good beer hunting and beer scribe, beer scribes Andy, uh, spat? And, and good beer hunting is one of the guys who went on the trip. So I replied, I cared, and I'm a podcaster, not a blogger. <laughs> but mostly because I've been on three AB trips. <laughs> yeah. So what was there did you get a response? No, no response from uh, Good Beer Hunting favorited my tweet, okay, but well, other than that, nothing. I I, I mean I, I really you know I've always I always say this and and it's always true. I'm willing to be convinced. And you know that I can be convinced. I I will. It's hard. It's, it's rare. It's hard <laughs> and rare. Uh, but you know, show me enough evidence, and, and I will change my mind. And 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 you know, like I've said before, we've like we talked about, it's probably not going to happen in a night, but over the course of a certain amount of time, you'll be able to change you know my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would love to talk to. To Andy Crouch about this, I feel like what I haven't read his stuff. I feel like what you're describing of what he said is complete fucking bullshit, and I, I would challenge that strongly, very strongly. And I want to see what he. I would definitely want to see his response, not because I want to own him, but because I want to see what his fucking right. response is, and I want to see could, if I'm we wrong. Could, we could set something up. You know, too bad the timing didn't work. Too bad this didn't happen before I came to Pittsburgh, yeah. because I would have worked a lot harder to, to yeah, do a face-to-face with him when he was here in town. Uh, you, may, you know, Andy's the guy that wrote that Jim yeah. Cook thing, right? Which one? The the one about Boston beer and Jim Cook and freaking out at the bar. Oh! <laughs> that, that was Andy that wrote that one. Uh, I mean, I have a lot of respect for him, man. I mean... <laughs> But that doesn't mean that he doesn't write bullshit if if, if what if what you're describing what he's writing is true, uh, or that or let me put it this way that his he's just a real stickler for his disclosure. his pre, he has prejudices that need to be addressed. We all have prejudices that need to be addressed. Just, we are not alone in that. I certainly have prejudices that need to be addressed. So do you. So does any, and need to be challenged on this, uh, and. I would absolutely challenge Andy if he were sitting right here about this, and I would be vociferous about it. This is the kind. This is the kind of thing that that I really do. I take an issue with people who who make these kind of broad assumptions without really considering the larger <laughs> scope, because there is a there's a. There's a giant web of of shit happening and to only look at one thing and 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 to uh turn one thing into some sort of paragon and then assume everything else that is not that is lesser is not a realistic view upon the uh, of the world i feel okay i think that's about enough of the ab barley thing all right what do i talk about now I got I got shit to talk about if you don't have anything. Uh, I don't have anything top of mind. Go for it. Okay. 
I, I can talk about some science speculation shit that I have. M- more speculation science stuff. Or I can talk about other stuff. What do you mean speculation science? Like, like ridiculous stuff that has no bearing, <laughs> but I'm just... I, the stuff that's in my so mind. So you just want to rant? Or? No. Oh, no, no. No, no, no. Oh, just stuff, you, you, the way you're describing the world. Yeah, so stuff that, I, that I'm thinking about that, that may be completely that, that may be completely wrong and, and that other people are experts in, I'm not an expert in, and I'm just thinking about these things and that like with the thing I talked about in the, in, in the pre-show, the the, uh, the time singularity that thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea behind that is not oh, here's a cool idea I had that might be right. It's the, the idea that I'm thinking is, please, please show me where I'm wrong so I can stop thinking about this bullshit. Uh, got anything else? Of, oftentimes, I can't have a good conversation when you get yeah, too deep into that shit. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, to, to but I, I hope I describe some of it at least in, in a way. I mean, I think you understood. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's just I, I don't have anything to contribute, so it sounds very right, one-sided. Let, let me see if I can find something. Um, what do you think about all the migrants trying to get into the United Kingdom? Have you heard about that? I don't care. So they're already in France, and they're lining up at the entrance to the channel, the channel tunnel. Uh-huh, all right, yeah, sure, I know what the channel is. And... Uh, they feel that UK is going to be their El Dorado. Once they get there, they're going to apply for asylum and everything. That'd be great. So there's like uh-huh. there's like thousands of migrants like sitting outside the tunnel, and they're like climbing the fence and like hiding in trucks and trying to get on the trains to UK. That that, that sounds a lot like the US. Okay, it's just, it's it's kind of interesting because like. A, you're already in northern France. You're in Europe, but UK is going to be the fix, you know, because uh-huh. it's an island, I guess. No, no, it's not because it's an island. It's because it's because the France's economy is not nearly as robust as it is okay. the English economy. I guess, but there's a rumors think that they'll have uh, that. I understand. Better, I don't know that we're that better chance That's of asylum or something in UK as well, or something along those lines. But like, like ten. You people may are, have more freedom in 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 the UK than you would have in France. Maybe <clears throat> again, something I don't have a total understanding right. of. It's a, uh, but you know, it's an interesting problem. This whole thing. I mean, the world's so global anymore, and you know, you got all these people that are leaving Libya and Syria and Iraq. And Why Afghanistan wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they? Why going? <laughs> if you were, if you were. Yeah. Why would, why would you stay there? Why would you stay? The only reason why we stay is if you were stubborn and you and you cared about your you, you cared about your past. If you mm-hmm. cared about your future, you'd leave. Right? And, and, and that that's really that to me is religion in a nutshell. Religion is about caring about your past. Non-religion about is about caring about your future and the future of the people who come after you. Uh I I really do think that it, it it, I mean, there, there's lo- there's lots of little complications all along the way. I'm not saying that it's just that simple, mm-hmm. but I do think that there is that that's a lot of the consideration. That religion is about your past, and humanism is about your future. Okay, makes sense. 
So if you know if you if you care about your past, and boy, that whole Middle East area is like this nexus of just nonstop shit about shit that's been going on for four thousand years. Right? Who the fuck cares? Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> you know that includes your people, right? <laughs> yeah, my quote unquote people. <laughs> sure, pe- I, I I don't associate with them anymore. I know, I know. I'm just. No, but hey, it needs to be said. It, it, it needs to be said more often because there's a, there's a, an assumption that not that not necessarily you make, but that uh, people do make about the consideration. No, I do. Yes, I was born into a Jewish family, a Jewish mother, Jewish father, Jewish uh, growing up. I do not consider myself Jewish. Sure, I can, and and there are. Other atheists I know who do consider themselves Jewish, okay. who appreciate the history and all the other stuff that went on, and, and 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 want to keep up some sort of historical Judaism without have, without actually believing in 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 the magical stuff. I don't consider that at all. I think that the whole thing should be abandoned. Completely. So so here's a question for you. Mm-hmm. Changing the subject a bit, but it's still related. Okay. So this is just ignorant. Catholic raised me. I'm ignorant what, what Jewish raised me. I don't know what anything does, about What does Zionist mean? Okay, so... Does it mean believing that it should be a state for Jews in the Middle East? I mean, like, is that what it is? It believes that Israel should be a state? Or is it something else? Like, what exactly does Zionist mean, as far as you can tell me? Okay, so here's what I can tell you based on both what I have been taught and what I have observed. There are two strains of Zionism, and I'm not sure how much they inter they interweave with each other, but I do know they do interweave. There is one strain of Zionism that is, yeah, Jews need to have their own protected state, and that's really it. We just Jews just want to be. I keep saying we because it's it, but. I don't consider like right. don't consider myself Jewish, but people with your genetic general genetic code. Well, <laughs> it's, it, it's it's less genetic and more oh, social. Okay. People with my social history okay. uh, feel like they need to have their own sort of area that they can maintain themselves because they've been t- the target of of hatred and uh, obsession for thousands of years. Um, while I understand that lots of people have been the target of hatred and obsession for thousands of years, not just Jews. There's been a lot of specific pointing out of Jews, Africans, Indians, gypsies, (laughs) the the list goes on Mm -hmm. and on 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 and on. Jews get more press don't know why yeah i mean there are lots think of, of think of christians in islamic states you know like mm-hmm. christians in iraq you know it's the same kind of thing really right it's yeah. sort of i mean it, so hitler wasn't after them but right, yeah yeah but all the uh islamists but were. There, there were a lot more christians in the world uh for a long time than there, than there are jews mm-hmm. uh so self-identifying but 
I don't know the amount of Jews versus the amount of gypsies, the amount of gypsies versus the amount of. Uh, okay, so of, so so back to my initial question about Zionism. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I just want to point that out that sure. that, that that some that there's some Zionist that are sort of strongly just we we just need a place that, that where the Jews are protected, and there are some Zionists who believe that Jews are a superior human either culture or human artifact. I don't know so, how to so put it. Is there that that one you hear from the supremacists, right? Yeah. That's how they use Zionists. You got these other bad guys that think they're superior. Mm-hmm. I've actually never heard it come from the mouth of a Jewish person saying, I'm the superior or superior race or something like that. Like like a self proclaimed superior Zionist. Yeah, I, I think that that's more of a. It's more of a fear mongering thing from the racists. No, I no no seen. I don't think that's no. I, I want to clarify okay. this. I think that's more of a we're outnumbered, so I'm not going to say it. Okay. Thing. I I think that there are definitely people who are Zionists in terms of they believe that they are the superior okay. version of humanity that think that. But they're not. But but they have the um, wherewithal to. Okay, we're not going to say it now because when we do, we get <laughs> slaughtered. Okay. Uh, so there's thousands of years of that now, and, and I think that that will happen to quote unquote white people too. That will be the situation when you know white people turn into a, a relative minority, which is going to happen because. Everybody, everybody is 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 fucking everybody, and right. things are going to get more mauve than they are going to be. Sure, worked. sure, everything's going to get muddled. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so actually, the whole reason I brought this whole Zionist thing up was because of Huckabee. Okay, and you know he recently made some controversial statements about the shocker. <laughs> yeah, imagine that <laughs> he made some statements about the Ar- Iran deal, right? And how, you know, he is a Zionist. He's pro-Israel. Yeah, right, yeah. But the, the, the actually the more curious part was, so evangelicals that grew up in his era in yeah. the 60s uh-huh. are very uh, pro-Israel. Yeah, I don't get it. But, I, I, I totally don't get it. <laughs> right, right. Well, I the, mean, we, I we get it, to, but I totally don't we, get it. We can talk about that part. Yeah. But then they went on to say that, like, younger evangelicals aren't necessarily pro-Israel. Right. They didn't flat out say like pro Palestine or anything like that. But, you know, that's kind of the intuition where, you know, people growing up our age or younger, even if you're evangelical, you're going to get this kind of feel that, you know, Israel's being a real dick to the uh the Islamists, you know, the, the, the Palestinians and whatnot in the area. It's natural to feel for people who are being oppressed, and as far as I'm concerned, the Palestinians are being oppressed. Uh, and, and as far as people who look at it dispassionately, uh, I, I think that the only conclusion you can come to is that these are people who are being oppressed in the same way yeah. that I feel that, uh, you know, that that um, <coughs> in in these situations like in Ferguson, black people were being oppressed mm-hmm. in this area, even, even though, you know, we, we talk about equality in America that it, it, it can be completely bullshit because 
it, you know, it totally depends on the social circumstances. There's a whole lot of you know, there's a whole lot of factors that that occur in these situations, and and, and of course, people who are like, oh, well, you know. <sighs> Oh God! I, 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 I didn't want to get into this, but I will say, you know, it's, this is this is obvious, and this is not. I'm not being, uh, I'm not saying anything new by saying this. But if you were like, oh, I got, I have a black friend, or I have a couple black friends, therefore I'm not racist. That no, the the fact of the matter is that it, racism is. Is seeing that as a is seeing your differences. When you know that there is no racism, is when people don't understand what that means. Not when you can say, "Oh, I'm not racist. I have black friends." Not when you're saying, "Oh, I you know I treat people equally regardless of their skin color." Racism means it's something that doesn't even fucking occur to you. Right? right? That's non-racism. And it's like what the skin color why would that matter that that's when you're not racist not when you notice it not when you take effort and so that means that yeah you and i uh and uh, pretty much everybody else who's alive today is a little bit racist absolutely i I told you a story i'll I'll mention it again because it's i I still feel bad about it it was it was (laughs) it was completely inadvertent but then like i realized i was it came across as racist, like, I don't know what to do. We were up in the Zillianople and walking back from the park, and I was walking down the sidewalk with my kids. There was a black guy coming the other way. And something caught my eye on the telephone pole. So I looked up at the telephone pole and, like, stopped walking. And as soon as I did that, I realized it looks like I'm avoiding walking past this guy on the sidewalk. But I wasn't... At least not consciously doing that, right? right? Yeah. Who knows what my subconscious was doing? Right. But I saw something that caught my attention. And then as soon as I realized what I was doing, I'm like, oh, my God. It looks like I'm, like, getting out of this guy's way and, like, yeah. like pretending to look at, like, something that doesn't exist. And, like, I felt like such an asshole. Well, I mean, the, the fact that you thought about that means that you're thinking about race. So it means that race is... Well, Sure. Is, is is a factor. The only way you can say racism doesn't exist is when racism race right. is I never fully understand a that. factor. I mean, so like my kids at the age they're at, I should say "quote unquote" race because race is just. I mean, what we call race is skin color, right? So Nothing. like, I, I, I'm not saying my kids are are post racist. I doubt they are. They'll probably learn it at some point. I will say but, this. But when your kids at, were one or two years old, they were post they were post racist, right? They didn't care. Well I still don't think like, you know, there's a fair amount of people in Allison's school with darker skin and she talks about Gabe, who is a boy who's black. A light black, but mm-hmm. still black. And she's never really mentioned um anything about, you know, why is his skin darker or anything like that. Um, she'll probably learn it. I I don't expect she's beyond racism. No, absolutely not. But, I mean, at seven years old, I don't think she really sees color as being a differentiated thing. Yeah, I think she does. I I think that's true. I think she sees shapes, but she doesn't, I mean, but she sees this is is another kid. She's starting to. Like, she, she, um, 
she realizes like her her cousin's pretty big um if she's not careful she's gonna be an obese child and she realizes that she hasn't mentioned anything about you or anything you know like that but but you know she's starting to realize that so maybe skin color is going to come in later but like talks about papa's big belly and there's there's nothing more inherent to the human condition than Mm -hmm. than picking apart yeah (laughs) so these vague differences right right so it's just kind of an observation like where she used to mention this but she still hasn't mentioned race she did mention so we were at the beach last week and there was some a german couple so they were very white but they were weird accent and and mm-hmm. and Allison's like, why do they talk weird? And you know, I, I had to explain that. But you know, I, I mean, that's yeah. It would be different she... if they were Mexican or something like that. But it was like it was, it was probably confusing for her because they looked like they were from. No, here. it was confusing to her because she understands the world through a certain lens of language yeah. and Maybe she, she hears yeah. she wasn't sure yeah. if it was a impediment or something right. like yeah. that so i don't think it had anything to do with a, <laughs> they could have been you know black people speaking german or or purple Maybe. people speaking german i mean i think at some point and so so she she realizes the only reason why she would have not she she, she might have pointed out purple because she'd never seen purple people before but other than that the only difference would be yeah, okay, there, there's some sounds coming out of them that I never heard before. I don't understand mm. them, what's going on. Right. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting. See, yeah. like, like she plays with, last year in first grade, she played with Gabe, you know, and, like, never made a comment, like, Gabe's different or anything like that. You know, right. like, so Why like, would she? Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. the thing. She That's the thing that's learned. Right, yeah. that's not a thing. That, I mean, she may notice it at some point, but I mean, I don't know where it comes from. But I mean, so it is learned. But you know, there's also the everyone in my house has very white skin. I go to school and there's people with darker skin. I don't know when that becomes uh, conscious, right? Yeah, I mean, because because let's put it this way: everyone in your house probably smells similar to each other, right? Yeah. Everyone in your house. We find tend to look similar to each sure. other. You, you know, your kids are, are mixtures of you and and Heather. Uh, you're, you're around each other all the time, right? These things get you get used to each other. Uh, then you, you know, you're around these other kids all the time. You get used to each other. Yeah, I mean, you know, we have um, neighbor down the street adopted a Chinese girl with a um, deformed foot. Mm-hmm. So they actually, the best way to handle the foot was to get it amputated. So she has a prosthetic leg. But, you know, it's just Leah down the street. It's not the Chinese Leah with a missing leg. Right. You know, so it's it's very interesting. It will be when she's 15. Because when you're, <laughs> when you're a teenager, that's all you care about is, is, is being in the group that's not different. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, just the progression and the learning and, like, mm-hmm. what what... And also, what does she recognize but know it's not culturally acceptable to vocalize? You know, like, like what yeah. is she keeping to herself? Right. You know, it's very curious. What's going on in her head? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, wouldn't, wouldn't we all like to know, right? I mean, 
what's going on in all of our heads. We, we're all. I mean, we, we've we've talked before about how you could take the you could take this show, take take all of our pre shows and post shows, and turn them into some sort of inte- artificial intelligence. That wouldn't be us. Mm-hmm. Right? That'd be what we talk about, and that'd be sort of our ideas about certain things. But that wouldn't be. The stuff that we're thinking in our heads and and, and the prejudice. Yeah, I mean, there's still a filter, the, right? Yeah. I mean, I yeah. share a lot. Over the years, I've shared more than I'm probably comfortable with. But there are certain things I've never talked about. Exactly. Same here. And certain things I probably will never talk about. Certain things that are just that, that, that are mine and mine alone. Uh, and will it will die with, with me. Uh, and, and, and that'll be the case. And I don't have a problem with that, but I'm just saying mm-hmm. that you can't, you can't, you can't make me without those. Right. I hear you. I mean, there's yeah. definitely things I'll never talk about on the show. I'll talk about 97 percent of my life. Yeah. There's a three percent that's mine. There, there's you know, <laughs> we we definitely talk about our lives more than more than most other people do, uh, and we definitely expose ourselves more. Uh, than most other people do. But yeah, there's always that bit that you're going to hold back because for whatever for whatever reason it is, um, whether it's shame, whether it's just it's something internal to you that you feel like keeping to yourself, whether it's just uh, it's just an aspect that you don't think about talking about or it doesn't occur to you to talk about, but it is part of how you filter. It just it, it it's simply something that doesn't get expressed and maybe some of it can be inferred, but not all of it can be inferred. I hear you. And that's a tough problem for people who are dealing with artificial intelligence, right? I mean, that's the nature of intelligence as we understand it. These, All these things that we keep to ourselves or that shape how we think, mm-hmm. and we're trying to design machines that don't have those things right where <laughs> all that's exposed yeah <laughs> that's a good point right everyone's keeping you know five percent of their secrets mm-hmm. how are you going to learn how humanity works if everyone's keeping five percent of their secrets that kind of thing uh how are we going to well i mean at least how are we going to make human-like machines right machines that that think like us when well, that's we, right. But what I'm saying is, you have yeah, to really yeah. understand humanity to make a machine that represents humanity. Right. Yeah. And if everyone's keeping some secrets, um, neat thing on NPR today talking about you know they're talking about uh, driverless cars, sure. and it kind of went back to the uh, so the first automatic elevator was invented in like. 1900s. Oh, I've like, seen something like, like that. It was one of those things that was, it, it went up, turned around, and went down, right? So oh, was, I'm not sure about that part of it. But like the first, like where you didn't have an attendant in an elevator right. was like invented in like 1907 or 1909 or something like that. And people like did not accept this technology. It wasn't until the uh, 40s, late 40s, where uh, you know, elevator attendants. There was an elevator attendant strike in New York City in the like the forty seven or forty eight, uh-huh. 
and the city lost like hundred million dollars worth of tax revenue or something like that. And that caused the pressure to have automatic elevators. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about like automation in life and like escalators. There wasn't this big hold or pushback like elevators, you know, and a bunch and several other things. But like when you talk about autom- autonomous cars, well, here's elevators the- are a good analogy. Okay, and like, but there was things like they learned in the like when elevators first, like automatic elevators were first able to go mainstream. Uh They added things like the stop button and the telephone and stuff like that. And Google is using that information to you know these automatic cars that don't have steering wheels have a stop button. They have a way to call for help, you know. So they're incorporating a lot of those lessons. Yeah, indicate that. You that you have some control over the situation, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I, I think that there might. I mean, it, it, to 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 bring it to a similar sort of example. Imagine if some uh, some airline started to run automated flights, not having captains, not having people mm-hmm. in there, but it was done all through computers. I don't think it would be accepted, even though statistically there would be very little if <laughs> that maybe even. Well, you look at the. Yeah. I mean, there was just a story on this. Uh, was it Radio Lab? I think you don't listen to Radio Lab. No. They just had this whole thing about. Um, yeah, it was Radio Lab. It was about the magenta line, because, like, on the autopilot, the, the line's magenta. And, you know, a lot of pilots these days don't have enough flight experience to handle all the disaster scenarios that might come at them and i think it was a french flight where autopilot got busted or something got turned off by human error and they were in a stall they pulled the nose back you know or what was it the autopilot uh one kind of autopilot was turned off the one that like gets you to your destination but the autopilot that keeps the plane flying in a straight line was still working and the pilot or co-pilot uh, didn't trust it and felt that he had to pull back. So he put it into a stall. And like the cockpit saying, stall, 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 yeah. stall, stall, stall. And, you know, there's all the instrumentation. They're probably flying at night, if I remember right. So they couldn't see the horizon, but they had all the instrumentation. And it's yelling, stall, stall, stall. And they were not trained well enough to know how to recover from that scenario and basically put the nose down. Yeah. You know, I mean, you have probably 25, maybe a hundred hours of flight simulator mm-hmm. experience. I have probably 40 or 50 hours of flight simulator experience. You know, if, if it's yelling at me, stall, 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 I know enough to put the nose down, well, but my life's not at risk. Right, so, and the stress is different. So, I mean, the thing is, flight has been around for over 100 years now it's been it's now refined to the point where when we see accidents happen almost every single accident we see happen now is human error mm-hmm. so it's almost it, it's weird that if you were to say, oh, this is a drone flight, the computer's flying it, that people would, I'm sure, be like, oh, no, no, I need to have a human there. 
people's judgment in this area is yeah. fucked up, yeah. right? I mean, 30,000 people die in their car every year. Mm-hmm. Like, almost nobody dies on an airplane, and people are scared of flying. Right. 30,000 people die in their car every year, and these same people would be afraid to let a robot drive their car. Well, I, I wouldn't let a robot drive, drive my car, but I would let a robot fly me. It's a different situation as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but, like, because a car is a much more dynamic and, and chaotic situation than a flight path. That's planned, that's well... It's it's very well planned. It, it it's. Uh, I am all for robot drivers. Oh, I oh I mean, I'm, I'm sure cars, I'm sure it will happen. I'm not saying it's going. I'm not saying I'm going to buy one in the next uh, two years. But beyond that, I can't tell how fast the technology is going to progress. Oh, I'm sure and, it will happen. It it, will, it would take a sort of restructuring of of our roads and sort of a, a, a an awareness of the road and environment. Uh, to be communicated to the cars. Once that's there, I think that it's it's almost, it, it's a basic a certainty that that will happen. And that, imagine going on vacation, driving to Yellowstone, and just well, here's using the thing. it as like a sleeper truck. You know, just sleeping well, in the seat. Well, here's the thing. It, imagine not buying a car anymore. Imagine. Well, you, that's that, yeah. We've talked about that. Yeah. That's the next step. Is you have a car is, service, and it, that, that comes to you and takes you to wherever you want to go. Well, I mean, that's. Uber has a large department uh, here in Pittsburgh, even working on driverless yeah. cars. You know, Uber doesn't want to be employing contractors to drive these cars around. They want to have a fleet of autonomous cars. And you call up the Uber on your phone, and it comes up and takes you where you want to go with no driver. That's what Uber wants, right? And and that's that's the ult- You know, that's the goal. Uh, your car sits in your driveway yeah. 90% of the time exactly. unused. It's parked 90% of the time. Yeah. So it takes a it takes a I mean from um from a American cultural experience it's a huge sea change, but I'm all for it. Give me give me the ability to call up a reasonable price car to take me where I want. Mm-hmm. And I can jerk off in the back seat. <laughs> And not well, I mean, you know, and... let me buy a Netflix of cars. I, I, you know, I can take it wherever I want to. I pay a monthly fee or whatever, and and they take, you know, and some people take it, you know, across country all the time. Most people take it, you know, to go from to go three miles, and and that'll be the situation, I believe, in the future. I never thought of it that way. I thought of it more of a Uber taxi where you pay per distance but a subscription that'd be pretty sweet right because yeah i'd be fine with paying a flat rate and only using a commute and then when i want to drive to yellowstone yeah it doesn't cost me a thousand dollars yeah i think that's the future i think i i I don't know i mean it's one of those things where uh it's really hard to predict what the future is going to be but that seems like like the trajectory things are going in but but back to the cars could really i mean so driverless cars are already changing right the google has a steering wheelless car and whatnot but you know imagine the uber where like you want to do a long haul vacation sleeper thing right Mm -hmm. they could have a car that's just a store cargo container and a couple sleeper compartments sure and you just kind of go in, go to sleep, and yeah. wake up in the morning, and you're you're in Montana. I mean, the the whole point is access to um, to small grained points. 
right? I mean, th- that that's what the car gives you. the The automobile gives you not just access to specific uh, stations, mm-hmm. but access to very small grained. Sure. Uh, today I was thinking about, today I was thinking about this, and the problem with uh, a driverless Uber is if you still have a regular commute, there's going to be like. A huge shortage in demand during regular commute hours you know so like people are going to have to adjust their start times and end times and you know or or work from home you know which one's gonna win it seems like work from home probably is going to win but i don't know yeah depends i think, on, depends, I think depends going, on the industry you're in i think it's absolutely going to be an adaptation to to because like if, oh if i go to work I mean, it's just like well, it's, it's an infrastructure like, situation too. Yeah. I mean, you know, if if you have less overhead, that's going to be easier for your company to to manage. But there are going to be people who work better. I I feel like mm-hmm. I work better in the office environment than I do at home. Right. So you know, it's it's going to be a trade off of, of of both situations. Right. But if you pay three times as much to commute between eight and eight thirty versus. You know, some other time. Well, I mean, I've talked about this before, but I think the whole idea of an eight-hour work week and all that stuff is silly anyway. So I have no problem with staggering those times, particularly if if the situation changes where, you know, it's definitely easier to stagger those times. I don't uh-huh. see why that would be a problem. Right. It's just something I consider because if you're talking about like, oh, they mentioned... Uh, especially when you consider... I'm sorry I'm, I'm sorry to, to, to interrupt you here, but especially when you consider like, for example... Uh, the main office of our of, of my company is three hours behind us, and so it totally. I mean, it really kind of doesn't matter if I were to get in at ten or eleven because I mm-hmm. it's still the clock. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So it's, uh, and and as that's going to be more and more common, there's the whole situation of you got to be yeah. in. By I mean, either. you know, a lot of people, people with families and other people yeah. on East Coast time zone wouldn't want to work eleven to eight, right? But maybe someone like you makes would make more sense to work eleven. You know, you don't care about working eleven to eight, and you'd be in the office when your peers are in the office. You know, your West Coast peers are in the office. I mean, I I think I should be working. I think I should be working eleven to four, and if I need to work more, then I will. And I mean, for me, I will. Mm-hmm. I will do more work. I, I mean, I I don't have to work more than than forty hours a week. I often do. I want to get things done. I want to you know get get the stuff that, that's assigned to me done. Uh, and and I think that if we change the corporate environment to that sort of to, to that sort of culture, then we're going to get more stuff done than than if we keep this eight hours a day, forty hours a week nonsense. Sure. I mean, I work when I need to work. I'm pretty flexible. You know, mm-hmm. I, you were yelling at me about trying to schedule things during the weekday. Week, I, I wasn't week. yelling at you. I was, I, I was, I was making you feel, feel bad for the fact that you have a lot more flexibility than I do. There's <laughs> a difference. <laughs> I was, I was trying to, I, I was trying to inflict upon you 
pain because you have uh, a much better situation right now than I do in terms of your flexibility. So I was definitely trying to hurt you. Asshole. <laughs> um, <laughs> driverless cars. One interesting thing. So the point where everyone still owns their driverless car yeah. but doesn't rent one like Uber-wise, there's a couple couple issues, a couple things here. Uh, one I had never considered until I was talking with uh, Brian at work was imagine the situation where you have your colicky baby and you just can't take it anymore. And you put your colicky baby in the driverless car and say, just drive him around for an hour and a half. Uh-huh. And you don't go in the car. Uh-huh. There's a whole supervision problem. That's going to be the catching point, right? Like, you, what if your baby has an emergency and there's no human there to help? You know, but people will do this, right? Well, yeah, but I think people will also then be able to monitor their baby yeah. all the time, right? Oh, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> pull over and yeah. call for the ambulance. Yeah, you know, oh, oh. you know, you'll be able to, to to monitor, and there'll be sort of sort of you know quasi intelligent things saying, uh, "You're maybe doing more, something kind of different. never be more than ten yeah. minutes from my house." Yeah, uh, there's that. And the thing I heard today was like, okay, so you got your driverless car, and you're going to a place where there's not much parking, so you just tell your car to orbit to circulate for an hour and a half well no you tell your car to go 20 miles away where there's parking you tell and, and you, yeah. you tell it, okay, that's, a, that's a good point the thing I heard on the radio was like just tell it to orbit and that's going to be a traffic nightmare right because now you have an extra car on the city streets all the time but yeah I mean I guess a little bit of logic would be you know find some place where you're not impacting yeah. traffic you got to find a nook somewhere you have a car that can drive itself. It can find a nook. It can find a nook. You know, it doesn't matter how far away it is as long as it can get back to you when you need it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, yeah. If if your if your best parking is twenty miles away, go find parking twenty miles away. Doesn't have away. to drive around the media yeah. block twenty thousand. Yeah. I'll times. call you when I need you, and 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 I'll be prepared to call you a little bit earlier than when I need you because that that's what I'm used to. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and and then yeah, if I don't quite need you, then then you spin around and maybe there's a you know temporary block <laughs> for 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 cars in that situation but uh yeah i don't but really what i do see is a situation where there isn't cars that you own when do you think this will be on i told Heather the other day you know it's probably quite realistic that allison's kids will never need a driver's license yeah I guess true. We'll never need a driver's license. Need. Never yeah. need. A need. I mean, you might want to get one and, right. and rent a Maserati yeah. and yeah. take it on a racetrack or something like that. Yeah, it's like, you or I don't need a flight license. I We never did. I, I don't think but Allison, I mean, she's seven, right? Yeah. So I don't think in like nine years no. or ten years no. I'll be able to afford her a driverless car. Oh, of course not. The, the entire will, infrastructure. Will I be able to, to be, drive? Me, afford me a driverless car in ten years? The infra, the entire infrastructure has to be changed for driverless cars to work, to really work. You think? Yes. I mean, okay. I mean, because yes. I mean, Google and everyone's trying to you know make something that's so smart they can just read regular stuff. You know, remember, I remember back in the day, GM had this automatic car where it followed magnets in the highway Mm -hmm. and they had to embed magnets in the highway you had to build an infrastructure and all the initiatives since then have been to make computers smart enough to read 
to basically have human level driving intelligence with faster reflexes. Yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't buy that, but I do buy Dubai. <laughs> I do buy the situation where you don't necessarily have to have Magnus in the road to give a track for everything to mm-hmm. go on, but sort of transponders in the road to tell the that communicate with the other cars on the road also and simply well, tell I, I the cars definitely what's think up. I definitely think it's an awareness car to situation. car. Yeah. I think there's going to be a swarm network, yeah. right? I mean, they're going to be saying, "Hey, you know, hey Honda six four nine one three. I'm yeah. Toyota seven three four one two. Exactly right. And I'm driving back here, and I'll let you know what I'm doing next. You know, the I cars mean, are need to be aware of their surroundings. That's the most important thing. How long, and I, I mean, don't think that visual you know cameras is the way to do that i i mean i think that we're, we keep thinking about oh we well, we look at things visually so of course computers should but no computers should look at things in all the senses that they have available well, to it's them it's mostly lidar but there's like okay well how do they tell so lidar is basically a 3d scan right? okay well that that's position how do you tell uh what a traffic light is you know how what, what that situation right, right. is. How do you tell that there? You know the detour tells you to go this way. Uh, well, I mean, but the, I mean, how do you tell there's an accent? How can you get around that? There, there's sure. I hear you. I hear. Yeah. So there's there's the there's the what what's more cost effective? Working on the computer intelligence to scan a traffic light, or to put transponders in the traffic lights, and it seems like. It's cheaper to have the cars be able to read traffic lights than put transponders in traffic lights. I I think there's going, there's a ceiling. Uh, I mean, think about try to think about, and you can't you can't do this. You can't actually do this, but try to think about the situation when you are approaching a traffic light. Right. What's going through your mind? What's going through your consideration? Okay, uh, how is how does the traffic look going from the other end? Is 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 there anybody that I see that that seems to be approaching at at, at high speed from from far from far away? Is there anything that looks like it's going to be? I, I feel the computers is, can do this better. Keep keep, keep talking. Okay. Let me keep talking. Uh, there's the sun in my eyes. I can't really see the traffic light. I have to as- assume what's going on mm-hmm. from what's happening around me. I have to take all that into consideration. Um, the other people around me, I don't know what, what they're thinking. I can assume sort of what they're thinking, but I have to also be able to react to what they're doing and be able to be constantly aware. Uh, there's all this stuff that's going on. There's a It's a huge complex web of information that what we do is we basically pare it down to what's important and and actually our brains kind of ignore the stuff that isn't and to our peril sometimes but that that's what occurs uh processing all that information uh is for our brains at least impossible to the point where our brains simply ignore stimuli right right. and uh, so the thing the computer cars have is uh instead of intuition they're able to calculate so they know that the yellow light is three seconds they know how many feet they can travel in three seconds you know those kinds of things right so things that take years and years for us to intuit you know they not all yellow lights are three seconds 
They're standard. Yeah, they are. What if, I mean... I mean, I don't know if it's three, but I mean, it, the yellow lights are a standard length. Are you sure about that? I could, we could, should check, but I would be shocked if there wasn't a... Um, I would be shocked if there was a standard that, that applied nationwide. <laughs> I'd be completely shocked. I'd, I would uh, be, like, flabbergasted. Let's see. All right, so... Flabbergasted. Good word. All right, so it apparently is based on the speed limit of the street. Uh, oh, so it's not... But the cars know the speed limit of the street. Why? How do they know the speed limit of the street? They can either read the fucking sign or they got the Google Maps. Google Maps updated. And the, when there's a million cars on the road, it's going to be updated all the fucking time. So at 25 miles an hour, what happens when there's when when the when the when there are tre- the tree blocking the sign and the thing can't read the the. Oh, here, you'll like this. Uh, yellow light duration. Here's the form. Commonly used equation for calculating duration of yellow interval is proposed by the Institute of Transportation Engineers, ITE. Technical Committee 4A-16 is recommended practice. The equation is Y sub V T sub F plus V sub A over 2DR plus 2G capital G sub R or I should say at 55 miles an hour at 6 seconds at 25 miles per hour at 3 seconds and it jumps up at a half second interval every 5 miles an hour can you show me that that's the case for every single yellow light there is no. in the country no I can't that's just do you believe that that's the case for every my single yellow fir- light there is in the country my first google search shows me recommended things and that's all the information i have at hand recommended right now. do you believe that's the case for every single yellow light in the country especially no. when you know that they're all that a lot of them are mechanically set but when you have the information that google has you have statistical probabilities of what real world is actually like and all this and actually real yellow light timings on certain busy lights you're talking about an incredibly complex web of information that computers do not have the ability to calculate you still have better calculation than the amount of practice it takes for a human to intuit if they can make that yellow light or not I don't believe you do okay not yet anyway we don't have computers that have that level of processing capability yet and I'd be shocked if that happens at any time within the next 30, 40 years at least. Wow, you're not very optimistic. I'm not I, optimistic I, I, I about that, I'm not optimistic about computers replicating human intelligence. I'm sure, sure. I think driverless cars, I think that we're on like the very steep part of the curve here. And my pessimistic view is 20 years. I mean, like I said, I, I think the driverless cars are inevitable, but I do think they're going to need additional information than simply what we, than, than the information that, that we are accustomed to. I think that they will require uh, a a different type of infrastructure, and I don't see any reason that uh, that's a problem. My pessimistic view is 20 years. My optimistic view is 12 to 8 years. Okay, your optimistic view is bullshit. Okay. Your pessimistic view is bullshit too, but 
whatever. All right. <laughs> hey, you know, when we get to a show with 1,460 and we're talking about this, maybe you can shove it in my face. Hopefully. But probably not. I just see it how I mean, come on, the they the DARPA Grand Challenge was like a flop for like ten straight years and they crushed it and that, like look how much further they are, you know. It it things are going yeah, rapidly. At, at a at a at a tiny Sure, the DARPA I'm not saying the DARPA Grand Challenge was real world, but that was also seven, eight years ago and you look what they can do today. They have Google was driving all around Southern California. Granted, on roads they know, but there's also... You put a detour in one of those roads and those things will crash instantly. No, I mean, not not guaranteed. There was... uh, I heard a story just the other day where someone was riding in a Google car and there was a handheld stop sign, you know, flagger guy, and the car caught the flag and it was kind of a surprise to everyone. So... Sometimes the shit works. I'd like to see that story. You don't have to give it to me now. But I'm just saying, I'd like to see that story. I'd like to read up on that story. Because okay. that sounds to me like fucking bullshit. If you're right, cool. But it sounds to me... Uh, but I'm not going to trust you on your word. Because that that seems to me to be... Incredible. Okay. So I, I, I want to... So... You don't have to look for it now. I'm just saying that seems to me to be incredible. And I've said before on this very, on this very post show, show me evidence for these things and then you can change my mind. Uh, But I don't buy it. Okay. Are we good? We're good. I'm just trying to find it real quick here. Google self-driving cars past 700,000 accident-free miles. I, I can't. My my first my first Google search did not find yeah. this uh, citation, but uh, I'll look for it. Uh, it might have been an MIT car, but I'll have to see if I can find it. I want to see, I, I want to see this before I believe that that that's that's too much for me to believe off out of hand. I need more information. I think that's a reasonable request. Uh, uh, Michigan. Michigan State University built M-Town. It's a, a, a simulated town. I don't of, care about pre-built towns. I care about... But but it's... it's. I care about chaotic situations. Sure. But, I mean, there's chaotic situations. So there's like... There's pre-planned chaotic situations. I care about actual chaotic situations. Right. But this is the first... This is a step. This is there's canop there's canopies that that um, simulate you know tall buildings and or trees blocking GPS signal. There's okay. robot pedestrians. Okay, okay, okay. But think about this before you before you jump on this you know possibility. Think about the fact that there's going to be not just driverless cars in the road, but driver cars in the road, and the driverless cars are going to have to understand what the, you're going to have to take into account that they can't predict what the driver cards are going to be doing. Well, that's a retac- that's a reaction. I mean, my opinion, that's a reaction time challenge and, and the driverless cars are going to have a superior reaction time. So we'll be able to reaction time doesn't necessarily mean that you're always going to find a situation that gets you out of, 
But you're not going to be liable. It's not going to be your fault. Someone's going to fucking run into it. It doesn't year. matter whether you're liable. It matters whether these things are going to crash or not, and sometimes it's going to be inevitable. I mean, like, all, as far as I know, all the Google accidents that have happened is because someone else ran into the Google car when it was, you know, sitting at a traffic light or something like that. That's the fucking point. Right? Exactly. That's exactly the so, point. So it's the Google's car for getting fault for getting rear-ended? No, it's it's the the point is that the Google car is not going to be a panacea to a to a situation where there are other drivers on the road that are not computers. Not a panacea, but if you can take the thirty thousand lives lost on the highways every year, knock that down to twenty thousand, ten thousand, fifteen thousand, isn't that like a huge Absolutely. Right. Absolutely it is. So it's I'm a not saying, huge deal if you can do that. I mean, it, we should be outraged that 30,000 people die on the roads every year. We should year. be. I agree. And if you're saying, can we can we use driverless cars to lower the amount of deaths on the road? Uh within 15 years or maybe even 10 I'd say that might be possible but if you're saying can we replace all cars with driverless cars within 10 years no oh, there's going to be a long period of there's not going to be laws forbidding people from driving cars on roads in the next 30 years I don't see that okay that's what I was thinking Like, no no I wasn't saying that in 8 to 12 years there's going to be laws forbidding human driving. I'm saying the technology is going to advance that these driverless cars will have the sensors and the capabilities to navigate the streets and lower the death rate. Will I be able to afford a car, a driverless car myself in 12 years? I don't know. I absolutely think they'll have the capability to navigate uh, the streets. Whether they will lower the death rate Maybe. Maybe. Depends on adoption rates, really. Yeah, it does. I mean, but but there's going to be a tipping point where people are going to see... I mean, yes. you're, not, you're not arguing against this. I know you're not arguing against it. We're just arguing about the time frame. Yeah. There's going to be a tipping point where people say you're safer. People are going to realize you're safer in a driverless well, it, car. It's, it's like everything. It's going to be a situation where... You know, our kids, kids, kids are going to accept it, and we aren't, right? <laughs> well, that's it. I, I think that my grandkids are going to ask me, Papa, what was it like to drive a car? Right. I mean, it's like, not that great. <laughs> You're assuming your kids will have kids. Yeah, I got two. It doesn't, doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe, maybe the attitude about kids will change within yeah. the next 10 years or so. I think that's certainly possible. And humans go extinct because no one's have kids. That's not what I'm saying. I'm simply saying that the idea of... Sure. I'm not saying it's guaranteed. Yeah. Who knows? Both my kids might be gay. I don't know. I don't care. That it's... has nothing to do with them having oh, kids or not. Sure. You're right. Well, biological kids. Passing on my genes. They could still have biological kids. You're right. You're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> not the way God intended. Now you're just being now now you're being a dick. 
Yes. I think we should end on that. And uh, we'll talk to you. Well, we're going to bank a show tomorrow. And uh, we'll uh, talk to you next week. And we'll see what happens after that. Sounds good. Thanks, everyone. See ya.